بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين uh, Welcome uh, back to another session today inshallah another stop uh, with Ibn Al-Qayyim rahimahullah and today is uh, the tenth stop I believe and it's uh, quite interesting because um, the book we're hoping to cover in this session and hopefully the sessions coming up is Bada'i Al-Fawaid and this is an interesting book because uh, uh, in some ways it's similar to al-fawaid uh, but it's of a different level altogether so al-fawaid if you can if you go back to whatever session that was was a short book mostly focusing on raqaiq and uh, admonitions and reminders heart softeners and that kind of stuff whereas bidai al-fawaid which we've chosen to translate as remarkable ruminations is much more uh, is a much more advanced text. In fact, uh, you know, this this definitely wouldn't be a book that, uh, say, a non-talib ilm would engage with. But I think in this day and age, with all these things accessible, I don't see any harm in somebody, uh, exp- you know, like. Uh, uh, sort of uh, bringing these things to their attention, uh, opening up these books and flicking through them and trying to see what they can benefit from. Um, this was the first book, by the way, published by uh, in, as part of this project of Mashru' uh, Turath ibn al-Qayyim. And uh, it was the first book, and I think it was sometime uh, 2000 or something like that. Um, uh, and uh, this book is a very big book. It's the biggest book that we've covered so, that we've covered so far. It ranks among f- the four largest of Ibn al-Qayyim's existent works. So we have Zad al-Ma'ad, which is his largest work, Alam al-Muqeen, Bada'i al-Fawaid, and Madarj al-Salikin. Bada'i al-Fawaid hasn't been translated. What we do have are certain sections of it have been published, yani they've been extracted from the book and then later on published, some of that has been translated. So his Tafsir of Al-Mu'awidatayn, for example, that's taken from Bada' al-Fawaid. But it's a very big book. It's a very advanced book. Also, one of the things that we'll notice as we go along, inshallah, is that pretty much the first volume and the second volume, are, or much of the first volume, I should say, and a lot of the second volume are focused on sort of Lughawi benefits, things to do with Nahu, very beautiful. And as Safadi rahimahullah and as Ibn Rajab both said that Ibn al-Qayyim was alam in Lugha. And in this book, if there's any book that sort of manifests that, makes that obvious, it's this book here. So, Bada'i uh, al-Fawaid, how does that differ from the Fawaid book? We've said that one of the ways, in fact, Ali Imran mentions this, he says, Kitab al-Bada'i kitab ilm wa tahqiq ma'a shay'in min al-mu'a'id wa al-lata'if وكتاب الفوائد كتاب مواعد وترقيق مع شيء من العلم والتحقيق. Uh, so that's one of the differences. This is a much more علمي book, scientific, if you want to say, and with a few bits and bobs here and there, heart softeners. I'm not sure I, how much I agree with that assessment, if I'm honest with you, because with especially with the tafsir aspects, uh, a lot of it is, uh, you know, it would fall into that مواعد category, admonitions, I think. Whereas Al-Fawaid is a much, much shorter book focused on heart softeners and admonitions. Um, some of the other differences between these two, of course, is that 
Imran, Ali Imran lists a bunch of them, so I'm going to mention them. He said this is the book with the largest number of condensed number of fawaid pertaining to Lugha that you find in any book. The second thing you see Ibn al-Qayyim at his best with regards to sort of anything to do with Lugha, linguistic matters. He's critical, he engages with other scholars on matters of language. Here, this book contains many uh, tef- a lot of tef- tafsir of many ayat and surah that don't exist anywhere else. Uh, fourth thing he says is that there are many maxims or qawaid regarding uh, asma and sifat in this book, not found elsewhere, not even Mukhtasar al Sayyak al Mursala, which is one of the, uh, which is the main book you could say that Ibn al Qayyim engages with aspects of uh, issues to do with asma and sifat. The fifth thing that Ali Imran lists is that uh, more here, more than elsewhere in his books, Ibn al Qayyim quotes Ibn Taymiyyah extensively he quotes ibn Taymiyyah a lot um, sixthly says is that there's a vast number of fiqhi qawaid fiqhi maxims and seventh he says there are many masail attributed to ahmed ibn hanbal found here not found elsewhere uh, then the other one other thing he mentions is that ibn al-qayyim helpfully provides us with a lot of quotations from books that do not exist anymore we can we can't find them so that's very, very useful. Um, these are some of the things that this book, that distinguish this book of Ibn al-Qayyim. Of course, we said that the size of this book, this book is the book's biggest book that we've encountered so far in these sessions. Uh, and it's f- uh, yeah, five volumes running into, spanning about 2,000 pages. What I'm hoping, inshallah ta'ala, is that uh, we'll try and keep up a session uh, between now and Ramadan, ta'ala, and the focus will be just this book. Um, this session actually will be sh- quite. We have to be sort of cut short because I have sort of another commitment immediately at uh, sort of around nine, inshallah. So we're going to bit through as many as we can. Before we do that, um, just a couple of further notes, and then sort of we'll have an aerial view of the book, inshallah. One thing I would say, however, with this book in particular, those of you who can, yani Ibrahim and others. Um, try and dip into it and see what benefits sort of uh, over these coming weeks inshallah and see what benefits stand out to you so we can discuss them and share them and sort of talk about them inshallah because while it is an advanced text especially compared to its predecessors saying that saying that uh, it's accessible still there are lots of things all of you will understand so if you have an opportunity if you can just flick through it yeah, and you flick sometimes that one of the easiest things you can do is flick through the index, see what sticks out to you, see what interests you, see what gets you intrigued or, or, or curious. Um, now, so let's share the screen because that will provide us with uh, Ali Imran's overview. So Ali Imran very helpfully over two, three pages as part of his muqaddimah gives us an overview of the uh, four, four volumes. Okay, so the first volume, he says, look, we have Buhuth Fiqhiyah, Mabahth Nahawiyah, by Abu Qasim al-Suhayli. Abu Qasim al-Suhayli was one of the ulama of language. Interestingly, Suhayli signifies, denotes that he comes from Suhayl. And Suhayl is what is known today as Fenigarola, in the Andalus province, right on the coast. It's a well-known place. So Abu Qasim al-Suhayli, and there were many other Suhaylis, Abu Bakr al-Suhayli, who wrote... Um, uh, very one of the largest books on Sira. Uh, most of these here, Mabahith, are Ibn al Qayyim quoting Suhaili, Abu Qasim, and engaging with him, 
criticizing him, you know, appraising, evaluating what he has to say. طيب. Then we have Tafsir Surat Al-Kafirun. Further again, we have more Mabahith Nahawiyya. Mabahith Jalila Fil Asma' Al-Sifat. Mabahith Nahawiyya. So first volume, most of it is focused on Nahu. Second volume. عشرون مسألة في قوله تعالى اهدنا الصراط المستقيم مسائل نحوية ولغوية and then عشر مسائل في قولهم هذا بسرا أطيب منه رطبا يعني this is uh, uh, an expression that they uh, that they would use and he tries to bring up some benefits uh, then he has ثمانية وعشرون سؤالا في السلام السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته an interesting discussion there then we end with tafsir al-mu'awwidatayn. This is the tafsir that I've said to you has, uh, has been um, uh, singled out for publication and translated. طيب. The third volume. The third volume provides us with fasl fi qawlihi ta'ala ad'u rabbakum tadarru'an wa khufya. Inna rahmatullahi qareebun min al-muhsineen. Some tafsir of this ayah. Again, back to nahu. Then we have another aspect regarding some aspects of nahu and lugha. Mabahith fil istithna' fawaid min khat al-qadi abi ya'la. This here is fiqhi stuff. This one and the muntaqiyat, this is uh, fiqhi-related benefits. So this book, one of the differences between this book and al-fawaid as well is the amount of times Ibn al-Qayyim cites uh, uh, or quotes other scholars. So literally, this is a, a notebook. This is a notebook that Ibn al-Qayyim has, has collected over many, many years. And this is why we can't identify a period or exactly when he wrote this book because he wrote uh, these benefits and then he would write his uh, his impressions or his thoughts on it, which is why he says on many occasions, and we'll come across some of them, he says, you know, this is what uh, this is what I thought of in the moment. So if this is if this is um, excuse me, if this is beneficial, then it is from Allah. If it is not, then it is from Shaitan. But he says at times he says, I wrote these things and I had no access to books and I was writing while I was traveling and so on. Uh, so this is very interesting this section here uh, because he uh, quotes a lot of Ibn Aqil's book Al-Funun which is supposed which is reputed to be the largest book ever written in the history on the Islamic world in the history of this this, uh, this deen uh, Usul uh, benefits here, fiqhi qa'id benefits, uh, and so on. Fiqhiyat wa muntaqiyat. Okay. Then we could turn to the final volume. The final volume, Mabahth Usuliya wa Fiqhiyya. Fatawa Abil Khattab ibn Aqil. Hanbali related fatawa. Again, fiqhiyya and usuli mabahth. Stuff to do with Imam Ahmed's riwayat, Ahmed uh, and other things to do with uh, the Hanbali madhab. Before we end with sort of Fusul Azimah fi Irshad al Quran wa Sunnah, ila Turuk al Manadir wa Tashihiha how to uh, debate correctly in accordance with the guidance of the Qur'an and Sunnah, and, for, and wrapped up finally with some usuli, nahawi, usuli benefits, and then a jumble of um, a variety of miscellaneous benefits. So this is the book. It has no organization as such. It doesn't have, uh, it's not systematized, it's not organized in any particular way. Uh, but actually, that's the nice thing about the book in some ways, because you don't know what you're going to come across. In some ways, you're just you're, you're journeying. You never know the kind of benefit you will stumble across. Uh, in fact, this is perhaps why Al Suyuti and Al Tiqan, Fi Ulum Al Quran, he uh, lists 
Kitab Bida'a al-Fawaid as one of the books that he relied on to com- to write that book. And he says, uh, he, he described, where does that sound from? Ah, he described it as being uh, one of Al-Kutub al-Jami'ah, you know, a comprehensive book. Uh, and because it is comprehensive, it is comprehensive. Elsewhere, Suyuti uh, uh, singles out Bida'a al-Fawaid as a book of Nahu. He says, this is a, a book mostly of Nahu-related benefits. Wallahu alam. Tayyib. We've seen a list of names with whom Ibn al-Qayyim engages with. Ibn Aqil, Ibn Khattab, Al-Qarafi, Ibn Abdul Salam, Sibaweh, Suhaili, who is who is the most common one, uh, and some others. طيب. Uh, here's something else, actually. Ali uh, al-Imran uh, says, أن غالب هذه الفوائد قد كتبها المؤلف من الخاطر دون مراجعة كتاب most of the, like I said, most of these benefits were written, or most of these impressions or ruminations were written while Ibn al-Qayyim did not have access to his books. Uh, and and he, he says this in uh, on various occasions. So he says, for example, This is what Allah has opened up upon myself uh, in these few uh, words. So I wrote this and I said what I've said here without looking or referring to or consulting any book of tafsir. This is something that Allah has given me through his kindness and, uh, and his fadl. Now, uh, there have been several abridgments of this book. One is by Abdullah al-Duayish. This is the only one I managed to find online. But there were two or three others that um, uh, that, it, that also exist. Now, but if you wanted a, an abridgment that exists, uh, you can easily consult if you wanted to. Uh, I, although I don't actually recommend, uh, recommend this because, you know, uh, uh, you know, what do they say? اختيار المرء. Uh, how you choose is an indication of your mind or is is is, uh, is telling of how you think which is so true i would simply say that go through the index whatever catches your eye have a read of that and in fact uh, i've never read this book in its entirety when i have approached this book i've approached it in that way because a lot of the benefits i'm like okay that's not something that particularly interests me or it's a very long discussion that i could spend my time elsewhere uh, you know, spend my time differently, basically. So this is what I would recommend. Um, one thing as well, with regards to uh, to uh, the the benefits, is that a lot of them are Nahu related. I'm not sure how much we're going to go through them. Yani. it's when you enter, when you discuss Nahu, particularly at this level. It's difficult to transmit that knowledge into English. I think it doesn't make sense because it's now at the very at a at least intermediate level, in many cases. So it doesn't make sense. So anyway, these are some of the things I would I would point out before we go to um, the actual book, inshallah Taala. And like I said, my recommendation is that for the next three or four sessions, inshallah, that every one of us sort of picks this up, downloads the PDF, has has a look at it and uh, skims through it and yeah on the next session at least we have made 
we've made some preparation with regards to uh, with respect to the sort of benefits and the forward. Anyway, so here we go. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Bada'il fawaid. Remarkable because bada'il is, you know, outstanding, is uh, uh, innovative, is, uh, you know, creative. All of those meanings fall into this word. Tayyib, uh, we begin with page 13, inshallah. Yeah, هذه فوائد مختلفة Okay. Naam. He says here, And should do this one by one. is hard to, to me, I think khabar is hard to translate because here it can mean different things. But it says, if a khabar relates to something pertaining to the ummah, then there are numerous ways that this khabar can reach us. So khabar can be a report, okay, or news, or anything of that kind, a report. A khabar that pertains to the ummah can reach us in multiple ways. One of those ways is, is via sama, through hearing. This is what we call riwaya. If it was through understanding what has reached us via sama, we call this a fatwa. If this report pertains to a particular person, then we call If this report pertains to a particular incident or person, and uh, then and it is known through mushahada or ilm, it is known through eyewitnesses, author and hear knowledge, and this is called shahada, testimony. Riwaya and shahada, this is one of the differences. If this report pertains to an allegation made or, or a claim made against someone else, then this is called a da'wah. وَإِنْ كَانَ خَبَرًا عَنْ تَصْدِيقِ هَذَا الْخَبَرِ فَهُوَ الْإِقْرَارِ If this is a report confirming the truthfulness of this, uh, of what of the report, the, the, the veracity of the report, then it's called إِقْرَارِ وَإِنْ كَانَ خَبَرًا عَنْ كَذِبِهِ If this khabar is to confirm that this report is false, فَهُوَ الْإِنْكَارِ It's known as إِنْكَارِ وَإِنْ كَانَ خَبَرًا نَشَأَ عَنْ دَلِيلِ If this report is extrapolated or deduced from a dalil, it's known as a natija. These are ter logical terms, by the way. Before uh, uh, it is uh, recognized as a dalil, it's called matloob. Uh, uh, if this is a report, uh, the aim of which is uh, if uh, this is a report and the aim of the report is to find the end result then it is called a dalil again this these last two bits are probably only and you'll only um, uh, be familiar with them if you know uh, logical terms even in English uh, a premise and whatever the other one is I don't know how they they translate that. 
this is I thought this was just something accessible and interesting how he how every one of these reports has a particular name depending on how it has reached us uh, 26 next one inshallah here we go Al-Majaz with Ta'wil, metaphorical and allegorical, uh, do not, this is Ibn Qayyim's position, of course, that these things don't exist in those, in what is a mansus. Mansus is as in something that exists in the Quran in this respect. وَإِنَّمَا يَدْخُلُ فِي الظَّاهِرِ لِمُحْتَمِلَّهِ Majaz and Ta'wil can only occur in those things that are ظاهر, uh, so not nas, uh, um, sorry, when I can mean two things. Mansus can mean the Quran, but that's not actually what he means. Yeah, I'll take that back. What he means here is nas being something that is unequivocal, it cannot hold more than one meaning. He is saying here, so majaz, met- metaphorical expressions, and ta'wil can only occur in those terms that have, that are equivocal, that are ambivalent, that can uh, hold more than one meaning. Then he says, There is an important point here that you have to be conscious of or alert to. here. How we know any expression or any word is a nas, i.e. it does not hold more than one meaning, we know this through two ways. One of them, if the word, the way the word was um, uh, uh, coined or uh, has, the way the word was coined or um, uh, or how do they translate that? Like coined, or uh, de- the word denotes only one thing and cannot denote anything else. So he says, for example, the number 10. The number 10 cannot mean anything else. It is in, in our minds, in the way the, the language is used, it cannot mean anything else. That specific number is at nas because it does not, it's unequivocal. It's categorical and unequivocal. He then says the second way, with Thani. If a particular word is always used in one particular way or one particular fashion, then that, in, if it is always used in this manner, then it is considered a nas. I.e., it is if a word is always used, uh, the convention is to always use it in one particular way to signify, to denote one meaning, then it is a nas. That, that you cannot do ta'wil of, nor uh, is it sort of metaphorical or anything of the kind. And if possible so he says, 
this second point here, why is it relevant? Or what, in what way is it relevant to us? Because some of the discussion that you see today seeks to, uh, they seek to sort of um, uh, turn the table on how certain words are used and have, how they've all be, always been used. So for example, when we use the words khimar or uh, yani certain uh, particular words, hijab, for instance, khimar and so on, I've noticed at least that these uh, that these words have always been used in one particular way throughout uh, uh, our history, throughout the, 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 the throughout our history, uh, and it's only now that we're seeing people trying to uh, uh, develop new meanings or come up with new meanings for these words to escape from the obligations they are that they are confronted with, and. Uh, Actually, when a word is used, say jilbab, uh, jilbab can only mean one particular thing, or particular, yani it has only a sig particular uh, meaning. Okay, the fact that you are now trying to uh, change that, under undermine that, uh, is to be rejected. On this, on yani if we were to adopt Ibn, Ibn Qayyim's approach here, uh, it's like saying a hat, for example, we say a hat can only refer to something that you place over your head. If you now try and tell me a hat is something that you place on your feet, this is you've under you've sort of um, reversed the entire meaning of the language. Mm -hmm. So this is Ibn Qayyim's point here that a hat can only refer to certain things, or a, a certain not not a hat specifically, of course. But this is the example I'm bringing to make this closer to home. But he says that what, sometimes a word is used always in the same way. If it if that is the case, overwhelmingly. It is always used in a particular way. Then this this signifies that it is a nas, and therefore cannot hold other uh, 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 not necessarily of the definition, but cannot be understood in a metaphorical way or in a uh, yeah, in a different way. Basically, Wallahu I don't know if that the. Uh, if that's clear enough, but I think for those of you who can read the Arabic, you could probably uh, make more, uh, make even better sense of it. طيب. 42, inshallah. قُلْتُ أَسْمَاءُ الرَّبِّ تَعَالَى هِيَ أَسْمَاءُ وَنَعُوتُ Here he talks about the difference between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the name Allah, and the name Ar-Rahman. He engages here with, I believe, it was this, uh, uh, again now, but I'm sure it was here he talks about or the one coming up, he's engaging with this uh, with Sibawe. Ibn Qayyim says, Qult Rabb Ta'ala, he The names of Allah Ta'ala are names and also uh, attributes or, or characteristics or descriptions, if you want. Okay. These names indicate the perfection of his uh, names and attributes, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, there's no uh, there isn't a difference between uh, knowledge of these, uh, as in uh, their name and their description. They both align. Okay, Ar-Rahman is the name of Allah Taala. It's a name, and it's also a description. There is no difference between the name here and the description. جرى تابعا على اسم الله تعالى ومن حيث هو اسم ورد في القرآن غير تابع بل ورود الاسم العلم 
when this name was specific to him, أي الرحمن was specific to him, only for him جل وعلا, حسن مجيئه مفردا غير تابع. It made sense for it to come, as in when with say of in the Quran, the examples that he gives, وما الرحمن, الرحمن على العرش استوى, الرحمن علم القرآن استوان. He says it makes sense that this name comes on its own, as in it not. Uh, single-handedly, not along with any other sort of description or any other words. طيب. وهذا لا ينافي دلالة على صفة الرحمة. طيب. حسن مجيه مفرد غير تابع. كمجيء اسم الله. In the same way that we find the name Allah Azza wa in the Quran. وهذا لا ينافي دلالته على صفة الرحمة كاسمه كاسم كاسمه الله. فإنه دال على صفة الألوهية. Allah is a name, but it also is indicative of the of the صفة. Of the characteristic or the quality of uluhiya, ولم يجي قط تابعا لغيره بل متبوعا وهذا بخلاف العليم القدير والسميع البصير ونحوها ولهذا لا تجي هذه مفردة بل تابعة. So we never find the Quran Allah Azza wa Jalla using saying al-alim, al-qadir. They're always together and they're always following up from uh, these are these are uh, uh, descriptions. Characteristics, but they're not names in the way that Allah and Ar-Rahman are. says, contemplate this really interesting point. It proves to you that Ar-Rahman is in fact a name and the description. This is why did this? Why did I highlight this actually? Because I there are some translations. Of the Quran, so when they translate the name Bismillah, Bismillah Rahman Rahim, I've noticed that quite a few people retain Ar Rahman. So they say they say in the name of Allah, the Rahman, and then the Lord, of, you know, the benefit, the merciful, or something like that, because they are uh, they think Ar Rahman is the name, but it's not an, uh, a, 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 um, a a description or a, a characteristic. Likewise, we have the other thing. We have some people who translate Ar-Rahman as the beneficent, as the most merciful, or the mercy-giving, and so on, uh, not realizing that it's also a name. Ibn Qayyim here asserts that it's both. It's a name and a description, not just one or the other. Here it gets more, a bit more interesting. وهو أن الرحمن دال على الصفة القائمة به سبحانه والرحيم دال على تعلقه بالمرحوم. He says الرحمن فذة والسهيل هالسد which we won't go into. He says الرحمن can also is is a characteristic a characteristic that is always existent in with Allah سبحانه وتعالى والرحيم the difference between الرحمن الرحيم is that الرحيم is uh, attached to or is related to or pertains to the, per- the one whom is shown mercy. So Rahman is always a, a, a sifa qa'ima, it is an always existing characteristic of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whereas the difference between Ar Rahman and Rahim, Ar Rahim relates to the person whom mercy is shown to. The first is then Ar Rahman then is a description with fa'il and the Rahim is the act. The first is a description. The, or the characteristic, and the second one is the action. The first indicates that Rahma, mercy, is always his characteristic, character, subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And the second, أي الرحيم, دال على أنه يرحم خلقه برحمته. The second one indicates that he is merciful to his creation through his mercy. وإذا أردت فهم هذا, if you want to understand this, فتأمل قوله وكان بالمؤمنين رحيما. Notice how Allah here subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the word and he was بالمؤمنين رحيما. He was merciful to the believers. So not Rahman, Rahim. Also, إنه بهم رؤوف رحيم. He is رؤوف رحيم. So again, it pertains to the one whom mercy or kindness or clemency or يعني, these words are being shown to. وَلَمْ يَجِئْ قَدْ رَحْمَانٌ بِهِمْ فَعُلِمَ أَنَّ رَحْمَانٌ هُوَ الْمَوْصُوفُ بِالرَّحْمَةِ وَرَحِيمٌ هُوَ الْرَّاحِمُ بِرَحْمَتِهِ وَهَذِهِ نُكْتَةٌ لَا تَجِدْ لَا تَكَادْ تَجِدُهَا فِي كِتَابٍ وَإِنْ تَنَفَّسَتْ عِنْدَهَا مُرَآتٌ قَلْبِكَ لَمْ تَنْجَلِدْ لَكَ صُورَتْهَا um, So Ibn Qayyim is a bit pleased with himself here. He says, you know, this benefit here, you won't find it in any book. Uh, and even if you thought you began thinking of it, uh, in your heart, it won't be as clear as this. This is, this is, uh, Ibn Qayyim says this. Sometimes when a scholar says this, particularly a scholar of the stature of Ibn Qayyim, he's saying this to uh, arouse the interest of the listener and to make sure that the whoever's listening, whoever's reading this book, pays extra attention. It's not a case of, I mean, it could, well, it could be, but I very much push, يعني, uh, think it's far fetched. It could be, you know, yeah, I'm pleased. It's like, يعني, mashallah, look what I've come up with. But reality is, when you see these sort of things, you the, the, it's sort of underlining, saying, look, pay attention to this. Uh, Here we have, uh, when we say, here, Bismillah, the Amil, the one who is doing, is is not mentioned. Okay, so, I, so you say, for example, uh, in English, you say, in the name of Allah. You don't say, I begin in the name of Allah, although that's, I begin is يعني, مقدر. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, we know it's, uh, it's understood. طيب. So Ibn al Qayyim asks, why is it that the Amil, the one doing this, is not mentioned? Why don't we say, Ana abdu bismillah or something like that? Okay. It's because he says, Innahu mawtin la fihi Because this is a place in which no. Men, nothing else should be mentioned except Allah. فَلَوْ ذَكَرْتَ الْفَعْلِ وَهُوَ لَا يَسْتَغْنِي عَنْ فَاعِلِي كَانَ ذَلِكَ مُنَاقِضًا لِلْمَقْصُودِ وَكَانَ فِي حَذْفِهِ مُشَاكَلَةً لَفْظِ الْمَعْنَى لِيَكُونَ الْمَبْدُوءِ بِهِ إِسْمُ اللَّهِ So he says it makes sense to begin with the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because nothing else and not I. So you don't say I or someone. You say Bismillah. Because to be, because it makes sense, full sense to begin with the name of Allah subhanahu wa taala, and no other name. I just find that interesting. And then he carries on. He gives other reasons why we have Bismillah without the Amil. ومنها أن الحذف أبلغ لأن المتكلم بهذه الكلمة كأنه يدعي الاستغناء بالمشاهدة عن النطق بالفعل. I don't know how I'm going to translate that. فكأنه لا حاجة له أو لا حاجة إلى النطق به. لأن المشاهدة والحال دال على أن هذا الفعل وكل فعل فإنما هو باسمه تبارك وتعالى والحوال على الشاهد الحال. I won't even يعني those of you can understand this will understand it. Um, it's according to the first point which is to say not only is it only appropriate it's appropriate that you begin with the name of Allah سبحانه وتعالى not just that and no other name. If you're beginning it's appropriate Allah's name is the only one mentioned. Not just that. It's almost to say that I am pro proving here that I have no one to rely upon except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And 
Therefore, I'm only going to mention his name, Tabarakawa That's conveying some of what Ibn Qayyim is trying to say. Otherwise, I, I, it's too difficult to translate. طيب. Let's move on again, inshallah, to 59 of this book. وتلك المعاني لا تلحقه إلا بعد استحصيله وحصول العلم بحقيقته فوجب أن يترتب الإعراب بعده كما ترتب, ترتب المدلول الذي هو الوصف المرض نعم اختص الإعراب إعراب بالأواخر لأنه دليل على المعاني اللاحقة للمعرض I don't even know how to translate this one either سبحان الله <laughs> Arab, which is the aspect to do with uh, the end of words, uh, only comes at the end of the word because uh, because it, it, they are indicative of the meanings that come up afterwards in the mind of or in relating to the words in the mind of the one speaking. These meanings can only happen after you have fully uh, after you're fully cognizant and made sense of the reality of the thing that you're talking about so once you've made sense of them it's only then that you begin the exercise of arab because arab pertains to the end of words and this is i don't know if this is confusing you arab <laughs> pertains to the end of words uh, the the reason why he says this is what they call sometimes ma'ani nahu or falsafat nahu the philosophy of grammar and so on. He says why is it that irab only pertains to the end of words? Okay, we only do irab of the end of words because he says it is only after that the hearer and the speaker have made sense, full sense of everything, that irab has a role to play. فوجب أن يترتب الإعراب بعد كم يترتب مدلول الذي هو لصف المعرب. I mean, that's the best I can do here. I, I, I don't know if this is a bit clear, any Ibrahim uh, or, or any of the other participants, if, if, if what I'm saying here made some sense any, or tried to, or helped convey some of the meaning of this, uh, this fa'idah. Ibn al-Qayyim shares. <clears throat> now, طيب, let's go to 95, because then we have a very long one, and I do have to... Yeah, you finish somewhat soon, inshallah ta'ala. But like I said, in the next few sessions, inshallah, we'll be continuing with this book. And once it gets to the fiqhi benefits, once it gets to the usuli benefits, it'll be easier. This book, or this volume rather, was a bit challenging because, of course, many of the fawa'id pertain to uh, linguistic things and which has its own terminology, which um, is difficult, I have to say. طيب. Here Ibn Qayyim says... Uh, uh, something nice here, actually. He says, وَلِهَذَا كَانَ دِينُ الْحُبِّ أَثْبَتْ وَأَرْسَخْ مِنْ دِينِ الْخَوْفُ أَمْكَنْ وَأَعْلَمْ تَأْثِيرًا This is why when you practice religion out of love, it is stronger and more established than worshipping Allah or establishing your deen upon fear. And the difference is obvious to all when you see how somebody who loves somebody else is obedient to that person and how they are obedient to that person, whereas someone who is afraid of somebody else, uh, the difference in how that person who's afraid 
the difference in the obedience, the level of obedience and the kind of obedience between the one who loves, who does things out of love and the one who does things out of fear. كما قال بعض الصحابة السمر الصحابة said إنه ليستخرج إنه ليستخرج حبه مني من الطاعة ما لا يستخرجه الخوف يعني that I'm not sure here who exactly it's referring to but that my love for something of Allah تبارك وتعالى brings more obedience out of me or brings something out of me that cannot be brought out through fear وليس هذا موضع بسط هذا الشأن العظيم القدر وقد بسطته في كتاب كتاب الفتوحات القدسية which uh, which is which doesn't exist we, we don't have unfortunately uh, the difference between how to obey Allah is the difference between obeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala out of love and the difference between obeying him out of fear and he says there's a world of difference between the two and the worshipping or obeying or being obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala out of love is stronger and more effective and longer lasting than uh, worshipping him solely out of fear Allahu we've said previously that Ibn al-Qayyim has this idea that uh, love is the if you imagine a bird love is the torso the 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 the, the core of uh, one's journey to Allah ta'ala and what keeps that fl- flying that bird flying are the wings of fear and hope but love is the core or love is the essence Anyway, this was something that came by came through passing while we were going through this. Now we're going to turn to the last of today's benefits, inshallah. Uh, it's a very long one. And in fact, Ibn al-Qayyim here puts it down as fa'ida azima, azimatul manfa'a. A very, an immensely beneficial fa'ida. So he talks, uh, he engages with Subhsibawayh and Suhaili. Suhaili, most of this here that's coming up in the next few pages, is from Suhaili, followed by Ibn Qayyim's comments. So, and then we're sort of going to end there, I think, for today, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, the discussion here is about taqdeem and ta'khir. Why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begin with certain words and follow them up with others and sometimes to reverse order? So the order of words, okay? As Suhaili says, هذا الأصل يجب الاعتناء به. This is a very important principle that one should pay attention to. Due to its enormous benefits regarding the Book of Allah and Hadith Rasulih and the Hadith of the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. We need to understand the wisdom behind why Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala begins with certain things and ends with other things. For example, the wal basar. Why does Allah begin with hearing followed up by sight? والظلمات والنور day darkness and light والليل والنهار night and day okay and jinn and ins why does Allah say jinn followed and then followed by ins that order in most cases وفي بعضها الانس والجن in some cases Allah begins with the ins human humankind followed by jinn وتقديم السماء على الأرض في الذكر and many cases السماء comes before the heavens or the skies come before the earth وتقديم الأرض عليها في بعض الآية. and occasionally some آيات Allah mentions the earth, the earth before the heavens, and so on. ولم يجي for example ونحو سميع عليم ولم يجي عليم السميع. nowhere in the Quran do we read the all knowing, all hearing. it's always the all hearing, all knowing. وكذلك عزيز حكيم وغفور رحيم. similarly عزيز حكيم غفور رحيم. وفي موضع واحد رحيم غفور. Uh, and in one instance, we have Allah uses the word Rahimun Ghafur. 
إلى غير ذلك الملائكة ينحصر and among many other examples that we cannot uh, count وليس شيء من ذلك يخلو عن فائدة وحكمة there is not one single one of these that lacks فائدة benefit and a حكمة and a wisdom behind it لأنه كلام الحكيم الخبير because these are the words of الحكيم الخبير وسنقدم بين يدي الخوض في هذه في هذا الغرض اصلا يقف بك على الطريق الاوضح وغنا منشن هير ا برينسيبل ذات ويل هيلب يو انديرستاند ا لوت اوف ذس ا لوت اوف وات از تو كم اوكي ذات ويل بايف ذا واي فور يو تو ا كلير انديرستاندينج فنقول سو وي سي ما تقدم من الكلم فتقديمه في اللسان على حسب تقدم المعاني في الجنان وات ويف منشن سو فار ذا اوردر اون ذا تونغ correlates to the order that appears in one's mind or in one's heart okay meanings are given precedence in one of five ways either so either the timing of the occurrence is is, is precedes or habitually or out of Uh, the virtue of the act or out of the reason and that will become clear in a moment or due to uh, the perfection or the it's different to rutbah and he'll, the example will make it clear inshallah so these are the five reasons why certain words can go before others فإذا سبق معنا من المعاني إلى الخلد والفكر بأحد هذه الأسباب الخمسة أو بأكثرها سبق اللفظ الدال على ذلك المعنى السابق If, one, if a word has precedence via one of these five roots in the mind uh, then this word will be uttered before the other word وكان ترتب الألفاظ بحسب ذلك and this is the way the words will be, the words will be ordered نعم وربما كان ترتب الألفاظ بحسب الخفة والثقل But occasionally we have an example where words are ordered owing to the, the heaviness on the tongue or the lightness لا بحسب المعنى and has nothing to do with the actual meaning of the word For example he says ربيع ومضر طيب these are tribes of the Arabs طيب ربيع ومضر If you were to try and reverse that and say مضر وربيع It's actually, try it, I, uh, you'll find that Rabi'a wa mudar just happens to be that little bit easier on the tongue. When you're speaking Rabi'a wa mudar, is he then saying mudar wa rabi'a? Wa kana taqdeem mudar, mudar awla min jihat al-fadl. Mudar is a more virtuous tribe than rabi'a. Wa lakin athar al-khiffa, but they prefer to make things easier to, 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 to utter, to, 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 to say. Li'annaka law qaddamt mudar fil lafz, kathurat al-harakat wa tawalat. فلما أخر فلما أخرت وقف عليها بالسكون. طيب قلت. then Suhail carries on. he says ومن هذا النحو الجن والإنس. he says in, in, in the same way جن uh, and إنس. فإن لفظ الإنس أخف لمكان النون الخفيفة والسين المهموسة. فكان الأثقل أولى بأول الكلام من الأخف لنشاط المتكلم وجمامه. Uh, فكان الأثقل أولى بأول الكلام من الأخف لنشاط المتكلم وجمامه. طيب. وأما في القرآن فلحكمة أخرى سوى هذا قدم الجن على الإنس في الأكثر والأغلب وسنشير إليه في آخر الفصل إن شاء الله تعالى. طيب هولد أون سكند. وربما كان ترتب الألفاظ بحسب الخفة والفقه لا بحسب المعنى كقولهم ربيع ومضر. 
وكان تقديم الوضع اولى من جهه الفضل لكن اثر الخفه نعم so similarly in the same way ربيع المضر we have that heavy sorry um, uh, light followed by heavy similarly jinn in snow to the rest here صحيح ربيع المضر قلت من هذا النحو الجن والانس فان لفظ الانس اخف انس is a lighter word انس is a lighter word because the noon and the seen are very lighter as letters فكان الاثقل أولى بأول الكلام it, was, it made more sense to mention the heavier thing at the beginning of the word لنشاط المتكلم وجمامه because the reader or the speaker is more active طيب I need to, I need to reread this because it's, it's contradictory in some ways it's contradictory to me too by the way yeah وأما في القرآن طيب let's carry on maybe it will become clear inshallah although the first time I read it I didn't uh, that uh, subhanallah sometimes when you explain something or you're forced to explain something comment on something you activate something in your mind that tells you that alerts you rather to something that like writing when you write an idea or write a thought the writing will expose to you the, the holes in your thinking which is why it's good to write things down and good to teach things because then you realize hold on This is not making sense to me. طيب. فإن الظلمة, uh, he says here, ما تقدم بتقدم الزمان فكعاد والثمود. So he said one of the reasons, the first reason that of the five reasons is that something, um, الزمان, so the, the period of something occurs before the other. Okay, so he says, فإن ما تقدم بتقدم الزمان فكعاد والثمود. عاد came before ثمود. Dhulumat comes before light. Darkness comes before the day. فإن الظلمة, he says, سابقة. Darkness precedes daylight في المحسوس والمعقول وتقدمهما في المحسوس معلوم بالخبر والمنقول we know that darkness came before night uh, uh, he says logically we know this but we also know this through Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informing us والله أخرجكم من بطون أمهاتكم لا تعلمون شيئا وجعل لكم السمع والأبصار والأفيدة فال فالجهل ظلمة Here he says ignorance Allah took, took, brought us out from our mother's bellies Not knowing anything And then he gave us hearing Sight And uh, uh, How do I translate Afida uh, uh, What's the word? Not limbs What's the other word? Uh, the senses طيب فالجهل ظلمة معقولة He says جهل Is uh, we st- is a darkness that we know through uh, lo- we underst- we, logically we know jahl is an is a darkness. And it precedes the 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 nur of ilm, the the light of knowledge. There are three darks, the three phases that are dark in regards to our creation. So these are three darknesses, darkness of the uh, womb, uh, the darkness of the button, which I'm assuming here is some other aspect of uh, the, yeah, the, the belly. And Mashima is like um, that placenta, which ties the which ties the baby to the mother, the, 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 the um, cord. وظلمة المشي وثلاث وثلاث معقولات وثلاث معقولات وهي عدم الإدراكات الثلاث المذكورة في الآية. So he carries on. Then we just carry on. وما يتقدم من الأعداد بعضها على بعض إنما يتقدم بالطبع كتقدم الحيوان على الإنسان والجسم على الحيوان. 
So he says, some of times uh, the order is determined by habit. Okay. So for example, he says, the habit is do we put humans uh, after animals and and non-animate non bodies before animals. So we have non-animate bodies, animals followed by humans. That's the order. He says, and from this, this following in this, Aziz comes before Hakim. Because he is Aziz, he has Azza, he has Az. Because when he had, uh, how did he translate Az or Izza? Uh, I don't know how how do they translate how do you guys translate as or Izza? when he attained as or Izza, he became he Hakam. فربما كان هذا من تقدم السبب على المسبب. ومثله كثير. Sometimes, however, this this example be, could be because Allah mentions the سبب before the مسبب, the uh, the reason before the cause. ومثله كثير في القرآن. He says, and there are many examples of this Quran. For example, Allah loves يحب التوابين ويحب المتطاهرين لأن التوبة سبب الطهارة. So sometimes Allah mentions the reason before the the the, the cause. Uh, so here Allah Subhanahu wa Taala begins with the tawabin. He says, I love Allah loves the tawabin, and He loves the mutatahirin. He says the reason is the tawbah. Because the tawbah is what brings or causes the, uh, the tahara. وَكَذَلِكْ كُلُّ أَفَّاكٍ أَثِيمٍ So ifk here causes ithm, causes one sin, you know, slander or, or um, spreading lies, causes a sin. So Allah begins with the reason before the cause, sometimes in this way. So Aziz, Hakim, he says, these are, this is another reason or another way in which things are ordered. لأن الإفطيب وكذلك كل معتد أثيم طيب ومن المتق... ومن المقدم بالرتبة some things that are given presidents owing to their rank for example قوله تعالى يأتوك رجال وعلى كل ضامر طيب that they will come to Hajj walking and on every sort of uh, way of uh, mode of transport لأنه الذي لأن الذي عفوا يأتي راجلا يأتي من المكان القريب so here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins with those who are walking before those who are coming through another mode of transport. Because those who are coming walking often come from somewhere nearby. And those who are coming on a damir, a other mode of transport, are coming from places that are far. We don't need to go into this. Bear in mind one thing here because we will wrap up very soon, inshallah, is that while Ibn, while Ibn al-Qayyim quotes all of this, and he goes on for pages and pages, uh, he engages with the Suhaili on this. So he says, you know, I'm, he evaluates. He says, I agree with him on this and this and this, but I disagree with him on, 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 on some other points. And that's where it becomes very interesting, to see Ibn al-Qayyim's engagement with these points. Uh, maybe I'll just wrap up with this final one, actually. Let me just see. Um... No, I think this one will uh, will be the final point. And of course, we may revisit this very point because I, now I'm having to stop it midway. And it's almost 20, how many pages? Bear with me. It's 
22 pages, and we're only five pages into it, so we will probably revisit it, in fact. Uh, but just before we end, uh, as for why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives presidents or puts orders, uh, the, uh, the words beginning with money, followed by children, because children, after having obtained money or having attained, uh, يعني, uh, uh, become wealthy, is a blessing and a source of happiness. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins with wealth in the Quran and follows it up with children because when one has wealth and then has children, the children are a source of happiness, a further happiness. Whereas when one doesn't have money and has children, it becomes a source of anxiety and worry. This is uh, an example of mentioning the reason before the cause. Now, because money here is a reason uh, uh, for having a full happiness or full to receive the full pleasures of having a child or to be fully pleased with having a child. As for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the ayah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says loving shahawat, you know, passions or desires. And then he mentions women and children. Allah here mentions women first, followed by children, because the women are the reason and children are the cause. Now, we'll end here actually. We shall end here, inshallah. Perhaps while, uh, what we can all do, of course, is, as I said, go through this, uh, maybe go through the first two volumes of this book. Uh, and see what benefits that stick out to you. And this particular point, we'll probably revisit, inshallah ta'ala, on the next occasion, because, as I said, stopping it here, while it's, and hopefully, inshallah, there have been some benefits, uh, we, couldn't, we wouldn't be able to stop it here and then resume next week without having to go through the whole thing again. So I think it just makes sense to stop now, inshallah ta'ala. We have a couple of minutes if there's any questions or any points or any further uh, things anyone wishes to add, inshallah ta'ala, it'll be, uh, be very... Uh, more than more than welcome now but as you can see it's a bit uh, daunting a bit difficult i think today's session so far because of all of these fawaid, fawaid you know um which are always difficult to render in in a different language and which is why i've never understood why any people study these things sometimes at very high levels in a different language Allahu alim. um to me, it makes little sense. But anyway, inshallah, when we turn to the fiqhi and usuli benefits, uh, I think we'll find them a lot more interesting and a lot easier to understand too, inshallah ta'ala. Um, let me stop the share. Khair, inshallah. Ah, ya Allah. Tayyib, I think there's nothing more to add, inshallah. We can uh, wrap up here, bismillah ta'ala. Barakallahu feekum. And uh, we'll see you next week, inshallah ta'ala. السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته